0: Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info@capitalchurch.co. At it is still good. Well, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Psalm 29, Psalm 29, and uh, we're going to continue talking about understanding and hearing uh, the voice of the voice of God. The voice of God. How many of you were here two weeks ago? Okay, we talked about two weeks ago, before we read uh, this text, we talked about how uh, we live, in the words of Dallas Willard, a communicating uh, cosmos. Which means that, in the words of another scholar, God is not a dumb, non-communicative impersonality. Can I get an amen to that? God wants to speak to his kids. God is a master Communicator, And if that's the case, if we live in a world in Psalm 33 where God has thoughts, right, he has ideas, and he's the one that built this vast, through his words, this vast architecture of space in time and supernovas, we should then be surprised if God does not speak to us. However, I think there are a lot of good people, right, in the church who love Jesus that are thoroughly surprised, When God speaks. Or if they're not surprised when God speaks, they're not quite sure how to identify the voice of God. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we can identify God's voice, uh, God's word in our life. And uh, we're going to tie that to how God wants to transform us so we can truly be God's people in this world. So we begin in Psalm 29, and we're going to read the whole psalm. And uh, David uh, wrote this psalm. And uh, he begins kind of with a dramatic praise party. How many like a praise party? Okay, so we got a lot of flute, a lot of harmonica. We got a kid in the background doing the floss, whatever, right? And uh, I know I got to get my dad joke, right, for the day. But we have this dramatic praise party. David, in this psalm, just to kind of give you um, a bird's eye view of what's going on, summons, we find in verse 1, all these heavenly beings, in the words of one scholar, this society of intelligent wills. To, uh, to ascribe glory to God, David also summons all of God's people uh, to praise. And So we begin in verse 1, and David writes, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, the Society of Intelligent Wills. We'll talk about this over the next uh, few months. Ascribe or give to the Lord glory and strength. Verse 2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness or beauty. The voice, everyone say the voice. The voice of the Lord is over the what? Man, it's over the waters. We talk about this a lot, but waters in the ancient uh, Far East symbolized uh, the chaotic forces of evil. It, we find in Daniel chapter 7, you have these anti God monsters emerging from the seas. And so, what David is summoning and what David is saying is that God's voice, everyone say God's voice. God's voice is over stands over the chaotic forces in our life. Uh, in fact, mathematicians, quantum uh, theoreticians have come up with a thing called chaos theory. Have you heard of it? I'm not going to get into it. Some of you know it. Um, chaos theory—it's—it's it's nuanced. Um, again, we're not going to abstract it. Uh, it simply shows us that this universe that we live in, that we inhabit, that God built and uh, structured around his word is a complicated system with nearly an infinite amount of variables in quantum dynamics. All that to say is you cannot predict what's going to happen in your life. And if you have five kids, can I get an amen? Right? Like poop everywhere in our house. You can't keep anything clean, Right? So, we live in a, a universe structured around the Word of God that is an infinite variety of quantum dynamics and variables. So, it's encouraging. Maybe some of you feel like you're in it, right? You're, you're living in a chaotic season and uh, things are over your head. You feel like you're in the surging waters. Has anyone ever rafted before? You're on the bowl, is that what you call it? You get on the bowl, that means you're on the front. And uh, you're hitting a class three or a class four, and uh, you're like, oh my gosh, what's, what's going to happen? Maybe some of you kind of feel like that. You're in that season of chaos. The good news, and what, what David says, is that God's voice is over every, hear me this morning, every single variable in your life. Think about that. And then he continues, uh, the God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters, Verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The cedars are imagined here by David as the enemies of God's people. Cedars uh, in ancient Israel were famous. The Lebanon cedars of Lebanon were famous for their vast size. So David is saying even God's voice is over uh, the enemies of God's people that pose or threaten to disrupt the shalom. Of God's people And he continues, "The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon." He goes into verse six. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf in Syrian. We can translate that Mount Hermon, like a young wild ox. So it's God's voice that turns mountain ranges into domestic farm animals who startle over thunder and lightning. How many of you say that God's voice is pretty powerful? And then we transition verse seven. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. Verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over that primordial event we call the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as, could you say that, king. King forever. Sits over chaos. All these infinite variables in our life. And with his voice, he directs it. All. Verse 11, may the Lord then give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with shalom. So here we have just a basic, no, I'll say it this way. David gives us a basic anthropology. He gives us a look into human nature. And this is what he basically is saying that uh, you and I are made, we're designed, we are built for hearing God's voice. In fact, if you want strength, how many of you want strength today? A few of you. How many of you want more shalom, more peace in your life? Shalom is just this basic idea that everything in your life, every crooked thing has been made straight by God. If you want that, that is inextricably connected to God's voice. So how many of you know that we need God's voice? I don't want a life, and many people assume that I can live a good life, right? Right? without hearing the voice of God, I would push back and say, yeah, you might have a life, but not much of one if you can't hear God speak. Amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes as we pray. Father, I thank you for uh, your wisdom today. We just thank you in the next few moments for speaking to your sons and daughters. Lord, we bless them. Lord, we thank you for last week. We thank you for Pastor Frank. Lord, we thank you for the word that he brought to us. Lord, I know we we sit here this morning encouraged, Lord, I thank you that you would fill, so we talk about your words, you would fill our hearts with fresh hope and grace, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I would have been about eight, probably eight, maybe nine years old, and uh, my, my parents started this church in 1983, and we're still around, and we're still trucking, I don't even know what that means. Um, God's been faithful, right? And so by 1983, we, uh, we started the church. In fact, let me go back a little bit further. Uh, I remember when I was four, uh, when I turned four, uh, I gave my life to uh, Jesus. Uh, maybe some of you have heard the story. Maybe some of you haven't. My Aunt Jenny, um, she had been with kids for 30, 30, 35 years, and she told me a couple years ago that in her experience of just being with kids, I was the worst kid she had ever seen, Right? So I, I, I needed Jesus. So I remember I got in trouble at action night with, with my cousin Wendy. Uh, I think I was kind of a smart aleck, just saying some stupid things. And so I remember feeling really guilty that week. Went home, gave my life to Jesus. I remember I was in the back room, knelt, and uh, my mom led me into the sinner's prayer. A couple years later, we were in Boise at the time, and I remember um, getting baptized downtown at St. Paul Baptist. I remember it was a transformative moment for me. And then, about eight, nine years old, we had been at church um, for a couple years, and uh, my parents, what they like to do. My dad, if you know my dad, he loves to potluck and pray. That's his. That's his like love language, right? Like, I love food. Any meat terrians here do we have? Right, okay, so we love food. I mean, we love food here. I'm just not a potluck guy for a lot of different reasons. I've had bad experiences. But my dad loves potlucking and, prayer and praying. So we would, we would bring a lot of people over to our house. And um, I remember this one particular moment. We're in the living room, and uh, everyone is praying. Shane, my best friend, was with me. And uh, Shane was always more spiritual than me. Uh, how many of you love Shane? Shane. I love Shane. Uh, if you don't know him, he's probably one of the most courageous guys that I know. Growing up, we go to youth camps, and our youth pastor would usually look at Shane and I to pray over everything. And Shane and I, just so you know, we were goofballs. We were, I don't know, we just kind of did our own thing. But Shane was the one who always took the mic, went up on stage, and prayed for everybody. I love his courage. I love the grace that was on his life. And uh, I remember this one particular moment. Shane was the one that was kind of kneeling and praying. And I'm, I saw Bob and Char. How many of you love Bob and Char? If you don't know them, they're great. Many of you do. Kind of in the corner. Uh, my mom was um, praying. If you don't know Char, she is, man, she can pray like no one else. I'd say my mom is, if you want someone to pray for you, go to Pastor Connie, who is the greatest prayer that I know, and uh, Char, and uh, they will call heaven down uh, for you. And so I remember my mom was right over here, and then Bob and Char, and there's probably maybe 20, 25 other people in this living room. And I remember I went to my dad, and uh, remember, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm a good kid. Like, I got baptized, I gave my life to Jesus, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living, living the dream, Right? And I'm not killing animals, hurting animals. And I come to this prayer meeting, and I just I was thinking about it this week. I was rendered nonplussed when it came to people praying and then people saying what they felt like God was speaking to them. I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. Like I, I don't know if I was like a raging materialist. Um, I do know and I wouldn't have been able to put words to it back then. I was like a spatialized Epicurean. I just believed that there was this massive space between God and I. And to be honest, I felt, for me, maybe for some of you, you have felt this, that prayer and hearing the voice of God is kind of an unapproachable subject. In in about an hour span, I talked to my dad. He kind of gave me like some guidelines on how to hear the voice of God. And for an hour, I closed my eyes. I knelt. I wondered. I doodled. I like. I tried to sing. I tried to do everything, and all I experienced was nothing. There was no. The space time world wasn't ripped apart. Uh, nothing came out of the sky. Um, I was looking, to be honest, for something spectacular. I wanted the audible voice. Many of us, when we come to uh, the voice of God, when it comes to trying to understand the voice of God we just we assume that it, it's always dramatic, it's always extraordinary, it's always spectacular, it's always right, it's always like in your face. Um, and I think probably I was working from that assumption. And I remember at the end of this prayer meeting, I felt, I felt, felt pretty discouraged. And over a course of a couple years, I just assumed that I knew God loved me, and I loved God, but I wasn't sure if I could, number one, hear God's voice, or if God really wanted to be involved in my life. The reason why I'm saying this is because I think, and I've been in ministry for over 20 years now, a lot of people in the church feel the exact way about their relationship with God. They love God. God loves them. They're paying the taxes. They're a Dallas Cowboy fan, right? Come on, they're doing right. Not, I mean, they're not perfect. They're raising babies, trying to make a living. They're exhausted. They come to church. They listen to a nice message. And then Monday through Friday, it's largely just flipping chaos. And they come back, and they hear a nice message, and kind of do it all over again. I think a lot of people just don't know how to identify God's voice. Well, I've come to learn that if we're committed to hearing the voice of God and understanding God's voice, we have to practice through experience identifying the voice of God in our lives. It takes practice. We have to learn. Something that I didn't know at the age of eight and nine is that I probably wasn't in the right condition to hear God's voice. Like if God was to speak to me, for example, I probably would have used that as a weapon against my sisters. Right? I probably would have, come on, misused the voice of God. And so God, knowing that, right, and looking down on me, um, chose not to speak to me in that moment. Not because God is a dumb, non communicative agent or gas, cosmic gas in this world. It's because God did not want to destroy me. So, what are some reasons why it takes time for us? to hear God's voice? Why do we have to practice uh, learning and understanding the voice of God? Why, why do sometimes times it takes um, years, or not years, or months to slowly hear the voice of God? Especially, Chris, you read Psalm 29, and it said the voice of God is powerful, right? A couple, a couple years ago, I watched a movie. It was, what is it, Keith? The Day After Tomorrow, right? It's kind of an have you seen The Day After Tomorrow? Like I don't really watch movies. I pray, pray most of the time. <laughs> um I love that joke. Uh, but Day After Tomorrow, if you've ever seen it, it's kind of an apocalyptic, it's an apocalyptic movie. And in it, I don't remember all the details, but you got this this atheist, and the whole world's falling apart at the seams, right? Everyone's like losing their their, their minds. And uh, this atheist is like, I think he's in a library or something. And someone asked him a question related to metaphysics and God. And his response is, Well, if God exists, I would just assume that he would come out and speak to me, make it really obvious, make it really clear that he exists. Why does God not do that? And I've thought about that, and I'm paraphrasing what he said. I've thought about that, and I, man. As, as your pastor and being in the ministry for some time, I feel like a lot of people deep down inside feel the same way about the voice of God. So why does God just not come out and make it clear what his plan is for our life or his existence or whatever? Well, there's, there's several reasons. Number one, if we were to hear God's voice because of our condition, um, it probably would destroy us. Like, if we believe that the voice of God is responsible for the vast architecture of space and time, like, God's voice is the singularity of singularity, right? God's voice, would you agree, is powerful? As in Psalm 29 and Psalm 33. We believe that uh, through the words of God. His thoughts, he made reality itself. Quantum data, quantum variables are the result of God's spoken word. So you can imagine that God would probably have to limit that power in his voice. There's inherent power in the voice of God. Uh, because if he didn't limit it, it probably would annihilate our bodies, right? Right? Like I And I don't want us to get weird. I don't want to, like, argue reductio ad absurdum where we just, like, take the transcendent voice of God and we turn it into a weird thing. God's voice is amazing, but it's also powerful. Like, there's no way you will let your kids ride on a bike around a radioactive um, material dump site. Can I get an amen to that? Right? Well, why? Because that is dangerous. Is the voice of God dangerous? I would say the voice of God is powerful. The voice of God can be heard by us, but God does have to limit how he communicates to us because you and I could not handle it, number one. Number two, are you okay with points this morning? Number two, I think the reason why maybe um, God's will, his voice isn't always as clear for us, and the reason why we have to, through experience, we have to practice learning the voice of God is because Sometimes, in the words of one scholar, ignorance is bliss. Or I like to add, ignorance is at least beneficial. For example, I don't think I would be in ministry today if I had absolute knowledge going into ministry of what people were really like. I got got to tell you, I get the strangest, craziest emails. We could sit down for years, and I could go through story after story after story of crazy. And if I knew what ministry was like, I probably would second guess the will of God for me, and I probably would have chosen the hermit life and went up into the mountains, grown a big long beard, and wrestled grizzly bears. (laughs) The same goes with how, how many... How many parents with with kids? With five kids in particular? If you knew, if you had absolute knowledge of what it would take and the sacrifice and the sheer exhaustion of raising beautiful children, you might not go into building a family with a lot of confidence. Sometimes God doesn't show us everything because we could not handle it. That's why the poet writes in Psalm 119, the word of God is what? A lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It doesn't say it's a sunshine or it's a flood lamp. It's a tiny little lamp. It's a tiny little light where you can see just what God wants you to see. Because if you see any more, you, won't, you, you, you would not be able to handle all that God has for you. If you're a good parent, you're not going to give your six-year-old daughter a chainsaw. Can I get an amen? If you're a good parent, you're not going to give your seven-year-old twin boys a car to drive, right? You're going to be a responsible parent and you're going to make sure that they're in the right condition in order to receive what you want to communicate. God is the same way with us. Finally, number three, I think God just values Free play God values authentic freedom. God loves it when we improvise like I know there's a there 's a thing out there i haven 't done a lot of research if you 're into this thing or not into this thing, please don 't judge me i 'm not endorsing this or whatever, um, but I know there's a thing called like free free play free range kids parents, right I kind of have the idea of what that means when I talk about free play i 'm not insisting that God wants or God wants us to raise feral children. Can I get an amen to that? Um, God is not free play. When I mention free play, it's not associated with a bohemian conspiracy or some vegan thing. And the reason why I can talk about vegans is because my wife used to be a vegan, but now she loves meat. And so (laughs) I used to be a vegetarian I'm a vegetarian in the week. and the weekends, I eat just meat and meat and meat and a lot of chocolate shakes. Okay. (laughs) Um, But free play, what what does it have to do with, like, our experience of God's um, voice? Well, I don't think God wants a mechanical, mindless relationship with his kids. Here's the thing. I don't, man, I don't want blind, some, actually, some days, I would actually love blind conformity, my kids having blind conformity to my will. But after thinking about it, Most days, I do not want my kids to blindly conform to my will. Like, I want them to, I'm going to give my kids structure. Can I get an amen to that? Um, We structure time, free play. We structure uh, and limit uh, TV time, technology, whatever. We have homework time. We have family time. We we do have structure. But within that structure, I don't want to have to tell my kids everything that they have to do. It's just exhausting. And all the parents said amen. Be exhausting to dictate every single minute of play to our kids. God doesn't want a mechanical, mindless relationship with you and I. He wants to build the structure out. God has designated what a genuine human life is. If you cross those boundaries, by definition, you will become less human, but within the boundaries that God has set for us. God wants us to experience and to learn and to grow close to God so we can hear his voice. I don't want to raise robot kids. Can I get an amen to that? Again, some days I would like robot kids. But most of the time, not. I want, and this is called metaphysical freedom, I want my kids to be able to respond to me in love. For example, about 20 years ago, I was in a season where I was pastoring or counseling a lot of people And uh, there was a young man who came to me, and he goes, Chris, hey, I just want to let you know, and he was trying to come off as really, really spiritual, everything I do during the day, before I do it, I go to God, and I get his guidance. I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? He goes, so when I wake up in the morning, I tell God what he, and I ask God what he wants me to eat for breakfast. I ask God every morning what he wants me to wear. I ask God what he wants me to do at lunch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, throughout the day. And I just started feeling depressed for him. And I remember I had to tell him, like, you know what, I, I love your passion, and I love that you really want to hear God speak to you, but God doesn't want that for you. God's not going to tell you what cereal you have to eat and how to tie your shoes and what clothes you should wear, etc. God wants us, through experience, to grow closer to him and through practice to identify his voice within relationship. Can I get an amen to that? Which leads me to a couple guidelines to God's voice. If we want to hear God's voice, if we're serious and committed to hearing the voice of God, here's just two simple Guidelines. Number one, you have to have a relationship with God. Relationship with God is privileged over hearing the voice of God. How's that so? Well, here's the thing I, I don't want my kids to treat me like some sort of ATM. I don't want my kids or my relationship with my children as they get older to be defined by, again, a mechanical, dad, will you just give me whatever I want? I don't want that kind of a relationship. I want a relationship, a collaborative relationship with my children where I can pour into them, where I can parent them, where I can love them, but I want to give them guidance. But that guidance is only within the framework of having a relationship. In other words, a desire for guidance without relationship with God speaks to a level of immaturity. Guidance, God, like, can you speak to me about my future? But I don't want really, I, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with you, right? Or no, 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 no God, I'm just, I'm just busy. I just kind of live in my life. I've structured my life around my work and this thing. Uh, God, can you please help me in this situation? And God's so good. And yes, he'll speak to you if if that's kind of like your mantra in life. But if you want to mature in your relationship with God, you have to be committed to being in a relationship with God. If not, a desire for guidance without relationship turns into uh, a manipulation of the future. We just want God's voice. kind of like a cosmic vending machine. We want God for our own sake, not for his sake. Relationship with God, a collaborative relationship with God is absolutely essential. And with the relationship with God, we know that we have to engage scripture. We talked about this two weeks ago. God's voice will never contradict God's word. So if you want to become familiar with God's voice, you have to know the story of God. You have to meditate on God's word. you got to study it. you got to, you, got to, you got to be in and immerse yourself in God's story. God's voice will never contradict, will never not line up with um, God's word. For example, um, a couple years ago, there's a man who came to me, and he confessed that he was thinking about having an affair. And uh, a couple days prior, he, uh, man, he looked, He he was kind of thinking about a few things, uh, and I won't share that. He was in his car, and this is what the the story that he was telling me. He was in his car, and he was going down the road, and uh, he told himself, and he heard a voice in his head, this is what he was telling me, heard a voice in his head tell him that if that light turns green, then that's an endorsement of this, um, this illicit relationship with someone. He was married, et cetera, whatever so i I looked at him after he told me this, and i go dude you're you're just that's that's you're a ding dong. <laughs> I was a lot more brash back then, Lord, you come on, homie, come on, homie, you've lost your mind. It's not God, that's you. you're listening to your own voice in your head. why because God's voice will never contradict his story, his word. So we must be committed to engaging scripture. We must be committed to being in a, re- a collaborative relationship with our Father. Number two, um, this is really important when it comes to hearing the voice of God. Man, we got to practice humility. We've got to practice humility. There's a prayer that I, that I uh, read this last week. It's pretty simple. And it goes like this. Lord, when we are wrong, make us willing to change. And when we are right, make us easy to live with like it speaks to our desire insatiable desire to be right when it comes to the voice of god we need to we need to exercise humility humility is not thinking less of yourself i'm a worm like i, I you, you kind of shame body shame whatever, your own life. That's not what humility is. Humility is simply not thinking about yourself. It's focusing on on God. It's focusing on what he wants for you. Humility is um, a prerequisite for hearing the voice of God. Here's the thing. My problem, and I've seen this a lot, many people think that because they hear the word of God, God's infallibility transfers over to their interpretation this is why we need humility what does that mean well we all believe that god's word is perfect right we believe god's word is right can i get any man the problem is is that many of us when we hear the voice of god we assume that our interpretation of what god has spoken to us is somehow infallible. I'm going to break some news to you. Your interpretation of God's voice is never infallible. That is, and this is, I I talk to a lot of people in counseling sessions where they get this confused a lot. They, They can't find themselves in this tension of, yes, I heard the voice of God, but also my interpretation of what God has spoken to me is Wrong. If I disagree sometimes with someone's interpretation of God's word, they assume that I somehow disagree that they heard the voice of God. That's not what I'm saying. I think we can hear the voice of God and still interpret what God has spoken to us wrongly. That is why we need humility. Which goes back to um, just the, the simple point we need each other. We. Uh, Pastor Frank talked about it last week. I'm going to paraphrase him. He said what? We always over me. We. God has brought us together. Hey, we come from all different walks of life, right? Some of you, you're Dallas Cowboy fans. Some of you Oakland Raider fans. Some of you are vegans. Some of you are flexitarians. Some of you might come from the political spectrum on the left. Some from the right. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. But God, by his grace, has brought us together. And we also bring to the table unique strengths. And God speaks, speaks to us in unique ways. And this is why, why we need to practice humility, because we're not infallible. And God brings us all together so we can learn from each other. We can bounce off ideas, and we can learn humility that, no, I don't see Everything, but together as a community, right, when we 're working together and we 're talking through what we feel like God is speaking to us, that is when we can come to a a, a more full and alive interpretation of God, well, what God wants us to do in two thousand and nineteen, within our neighborhoods, within our city, within our generation, within our world. No man is an island, no woman is an island, right. Unless you're cast away and you're Tom Hanks, okay? We're, we're not designed by God to live in isolation. And this is why we have to practice humility. Your interpretation is not infallible. That's why I, I can't make unilateral decisions about this church. Why? Because I'm limited. I know I hear from God, but this is why we have an elder board, This is why we have an executive team. This is why I have pastors that I'm accountable to, that I that I submit big decisions to because I see in part. And I expect you to remember that for you as well. We see in part. That's why we need each other. We're better together. Guidelines. We've got to engage Scripture. We gotta be committed, radically committed to being in relationship with God. And as we're committed to this relationship with God, and as we, there's back and fo- we experience this back and forth uh, communication with Him, we'll learn to identify the voice of God. Finally, how do we discern? How do we discern the voice of God in our head? Right? Obviously, God's primary way of speaking to His people is not through an audible voice. God sometimes does that, He'll speak to people in dramatic ways. I've had certain dramatic experiences with the Holy Spirit. But most of the time, God privileges the still small voice of God, which is inherently powerful, over an extraordinary experience. So how do we discern the voice of God in our heads? One scholar kind of gives us a framework, and this is what he said. Usually, our voice in our head, as we're trying to make a distinction between God's voice, our voice, or like the pizza from the night before, right? Usually, our voice argues with us. Usually, our voice or another voice tries to convince us. Usually, this voice, and this is my words, uh, that comes to us that's other than God, either our voice or another voice, it's frenetic and it's anxious and it's filled with stress. God's voice, however, does not argue. God's voice doesn't try to convince. It just speaks. Itself, in other words, authenticating. Thus, the voice of God will feel like the voice of God within the framework of God's word. In fact, James tells us, chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom from above, the voice of God from above is what? First, pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. God's voice is not going to be an anxious, frenetic energy trying to argue you into something. God's voice is gentle. God's voice is powerful. God's voice is confident. God's voice always lines up with God's word. And when you hear God's voice within this context, God's voice will always bring you into clarity. But guidance, which is what we all want. How many of you want guidance? We all need guidance. Psalm 23, let me just, as we close here, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. How many of you want your soul to be restored in 2019? He leads me, I love this, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So it's God who leads us beside the the non-anxious waters, right? And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, they don't condemn me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here Here, David speaks to how God wants to lead his people. He's going to lead his people through his still small voice. But this whole psalm presupposes a radical commitment between the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep, in other words, have a relationship with their shepherd and they follow the shepherd. Like I want guidance for this year. How many of you want a wisdom mind? How many of you are like, okay, I'm living kind of like at the beginning of the message you talked about, chaos, Chris. That's like the season that I'm in. And I just, I need I need wisdom to figure out what to do at work. I need wisdom to figure out all these nearly infinite variables that I have to like choose from, right? Maybe you're in that season. If you want a wisdom mind, your first thing that I would recommend that you do is you make a commitment to open up your heart to this relationship with God. You just commit, okay God, I'm committed. The structuring my life around being with you. C.S. Lewis, he said this, I love this quote. He said, Man, if you want to get if you want to get warm, you're freezing cold, you're up in the mountains, you're camping, you've lost your mind, right? you you're rethinking everything, you're trying to figure out life, but you're freezing cold. The one thing you need to do in that situation is you gotta get close to the fire. The further away you are from the fire, the colder you are. You want to get warm. You got to get close. If you want grace, you want wisdom. If you want guidance, you want life and life more abundantly. Come on. You want you want to you want to dominate, whatever. I'm trying to figure out how to speak to second service, right? You, you want you want to live life to its fullness in 2019. You want to do all that God has called you to do. You want to figure out His will and you want to experience the good life, and you want to build for the kingdom of Jesus, and you want to raise world changers, come on, and you actually want to make a difference this year, I would suggest give up trying to get guidance, give it up. What you need to focus on is getting close. Give up trying to get a wisdom mind. Don't, don't worry about, God, I need wisdom. You can certainly pray that, of course there are moments in our life when we desperately need wisdom as mature followers of Jesus. I understand that. But mutanus, mutanus, right, with all respect to differences considered, what we need if we really want a wisdom mind, if we want to raise our babies right, if we want to build for the kingdom, if we want to make a difference in our generation, in our world, what we need is to get close to Jesus. And when you get close to the fire, you get warmed up. And when you get close to Jesus, you get all the grace you need. Come on, somebody. You get all the wisdom you need. You get all the non-anxiety that you need. You get all the shalom. Come on. You get all the strength. You get all the energy so you can be who God has called you to be. This is what God wants from us. He just, he doesn't want a theoretical relationship, collaborative relationship with us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He's going to let you improvise. He's going to let you free play it. He values authentic freedom, but he wants to speak and to be with you. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes.